Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So... Turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hi, I'm Lindsay Parker from Yahoo Entertainment and Sirius XM Volume, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Totally 80s. We love hearing from you, so why not take a second to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, or email us your comments and show ideas to podcast at totally80s.com. And just a reminder, if you want to see our faces, and when you find out who the guest we have is today, you'll absolutely want to see his face. You can catch this episode on video as well on our Totally 80s YouTube channel, so go check that out. So first joining me today, as always, is my partner in all things 80s, John Hughes. Hey, Lindsay. So our special guest today is someone who I think has had more comebacks and reinventions in show business than almost anyone I could think of. He is a musician, actor, and radio personality who's been entertaining us since the 1970s. He also toured with another supergroup, The Power Station, replacing Robert Palmer, most notably at Live Aid, which was the first time he ever performed with Power Station, which is kind of insane. In addition to all that, if you didn't think that was enough, his acting credits include spots on Melrose Place, Seinfeld, Roseanne, Miami Vice, Northern Exposure, as well as countless voiceover credits. And you may remember when he reinvented himself to portray Murdoch, the arch nemesis of MacGyver for the series of that same name. And if that wasn't enough, on top of all that, he currently is a DJ on Little Steven's Underground Garage every weekday from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific on Sirius XM. But we, of course, here at Totally 80s know and love him best as the man who, along with Holly Knight, co-wrote Animotion's amazing top 10 80s hit, Obsession. Along, of course, with portraying the lead singer of the immortal punk band Scum of the Earth on an immortal episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. So that is why the Marquis himself is here today to talk about the biggest comeback stories of the 1980s. And without further ado, we are very happy to welcome the Totally 80s, the Marquis Michael DeBar. Boy, I, like, I got to go back to um, the power station for a second. The why not? The production on the for Howard Station record. Remember the first time you heard the drum intro to Some Like It Hot on the radio? Go Lens. Go Lens. I do remember. I remember it very. Yeah, because it definitely, obviously, I mean, this isn't a comeback. This is a, uh, Duran Duran had definitely some comebacks later on in the 80s and 2000s. I'm sorry, in the 90s and 2000s. But the fact that Duran, I would actually call Notorious a slight comeback. (laughs) Hear me out. Follow my train of thought. Duran Duran were like the biggest band in 1983, 1984. The fact that they took time off at the peak of their commercial fame to do two different side projects, Power Station and Arcadia, both of which were successful. But then when they came back, they had lost two of the Taylors, two key members. They were no longer the Fab Five. And then they also changed their sound to be a little more silky R&B style, which was, you know, with Niall's help. That's 
and then they had hits that way. And then they just, you know, Duran Duran's, you know, career has had many highs and lows. Uh, if we're getting into the 90s, I would think one of the biggest comebacks of all time is when Duran Duran did Ordinary World and Come Undone on the wedding album and suddenly had two top five hits again. No, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Everyone absolutely thought Duran Duran were done. And there's been many times that people have thought Duran Duran were done. Ah, you have little faith. Duran Duran will never be done. Don't you know? I cannot wait for Future Past to come out, their album that they have with Giorgio Moroder and Graham Coxon. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. The fact that with the they they took such a huge risk Duran Duran to like not follow up uh Seven the Ragged Tiger with another album with the five people and they said oh we're gonna do this weird Arcadia record which was like a super expensive record with Grace Jones and like David Gilmore and people like that and then Steve. Power Station this um, epic rock and soul record that you know later you got to have on stage Michael and, and interpret the songs I mean that is kind of that's an interesting story in and of itself right there well it, notorious the dials all over that record without Nile rogers on that record you would not have a single like skin trade where mm -hmm. simon is doing his best prince impersonation and and it makes the top 40 what uh or a song like meet el presidente with the latin rascals uh so i i don't think Nick and Simon were sitting in the corner going, Hey, we should do a Prince motif here. I think that's really Nile. Yeah. Yeah. But what was it like for you, um, Michael, when you reinvented yourself as the lead singer of power station at live aid and got to do, and actually sort of in, in line with what I was just talking about, that, that was the last time the fab five, the original Duran Duran lineup played uh, live for 17, 18 years. You were there to witness that fracturing but you were also there to sort of reinvent yourself, stepping into Robert Palmer's shoes in front of, I don't know, 5 million people. I don't know. I don't know how many people were watching it. 2 around billion. Well, I brought my own shoes. <laughs> well, you know, yourself managing and yourself styling. Well, I did bring my own shoes. I can't <laughs> sing like Robert Palmer. He's Marvin yeah. Gaye. I, I'm Steve Marriott. You know, it's a different world. But uh, I, I adored Robert 10 years prior to the power station. I knew him very well. We got drunk together whenever we saw each other. And I adored him. And I think he's a brilliant artist. But I didn't go into that project, um, you know, with a view of, like, reproducing what he did. I couldn't. <laughs> you know, he sang in a whole different vibe and key and, you know, he... Plus, I had to learn 30 songs in 20 minutes, you know, and uh, which I did. <laughs> Some like it hot. Got it. Okay. Let's see. Didn't you say so, you only rehearsed with them once? Did you mean that uh, literally? Oh, no, 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 no. I did not. It wasn't just once. It was three days. Oh, oh okay. Which is, three and, and we, did a, we did a three-hour show, you know. But no, but the point is, is, is that the record I thought was great, you know. I thought it was a fantastic sounding record. I couldn't believe Tony Trumps and I, Andy was a rock and roll guitar player, so we really stuck together. John is the most beautiful, sensitive, lovely, you know, coke addict at the time, and I adored him. And, you know, it was funky, man, you know, it was funky. It was these young kids, what were they, 22? Lindsay, um, right? Something like that. Not much. If right. they were older than that, so, it wasn't by much. I was 122 at that time. So, <laughs> um, you know, it was a different vibe. I was sober. In fact, John and Andy did become sober because of yours truly. That's a fact. Oh, really? Well, oh, tell tell yeah. us about that. Well, they're using coke and, and uh, you know, they're not enjoying their lives and they're on top of the world. And, you know, and it's interesting because I'd been sober about five years, but four years by then. And, and I remember, you know, 
I, I had a very strict thing. I would go running with the bodyguards and I would do what I would work out and they'd see this. They'd been up for three days. They looked like hell. John was, you know, shall we say, not the slender beauty that he, you know, was prior and he is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andy was like rock and roll and, you know, going into that vibe as opposed to the strict discipline of Duran Duran's motif, which he had to be a part of a band when Andy really just wanted to be Jimmy Page, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on there. It's a story. It's a hell of a story. Me, I just kept my eye on the prize and the bank account. Interesting. So I want to go back. We've been talking a lot about bands that maybe like their heyday was in the 70s and then they reinvented themselves in the 80s. But I want to go a little bit further back into bands that were more identified with the 60s. And again, with the help of MTV, had a comeback and the kinks come dancing which was interesting that that was such an MTV hit because it was so much referencing like the theme of that video and the song was much about the Pally was much about this by, you know, British, very British, super British. And also what Ray Davies does so well is this nostalgia for like war, you know, forties, post-war Britain fifties. I mean, I didn't know what this whole like phenomenon of going to dancing these kind of, you know, like quaint dance halls were and in uh, London in the fifties, but MTV played the hell out of Come Dancing. And it was made- so hooky, wasn't it, though? I mean, it was such a hook. Not it was so commercial. Rinky. Yeah. But yeah, it was wonderful. I mean, I guess they reinvented themselves a couple times in the 70s. They oh, sort many, of reinvented- many times. But you, you went from You Really Got Me to the, you know, Village Green Preservation Society, you know, which is an opera and it's an extraordinary work. Raymond Davis, Waterloo Sunset is the anthem of British rock and roll. I mean, that is the greatest song ever. Uh, we ju- I just did a whole thing on them on my show, The Kings. The Kings changed because they couldn't come to America. This was the problem. They had the drug bust. They couldn't come to America at the height of their fame. Dave Cock Five was kicking ass, hermits, hermits, all these, you know, and the Kings were back at home going, uh, yeah. uh you know, they couldn't yeah. make it out there, man, you know, so it's been up and down for Ray and Dave and Dave having to deal with Jimmy Page played the solo on You Really Got Me and it's, you know, and he's had mm. to deal with all that. It's a very difficult vibe for the Kings. The Kings had a rough time and Sir Raymond got knighted. Do you think that, you know, there's been rumors forever that the Davies brothers are going to reunite? I know, year after year, you know, and we keep track of that because Stephen Van Zandt is very, very, you know, he adores them, as we all do. Brilliant. Ray is one of the great, great writers. The Oscar Wilde of rock and roll, you know, in many ways. But I don't know if that let ever get together. You know, they are 120 yeah. now. so. <laughs> 122. Uh, but Ray actually was all over MTV for another reason was because he was, you know, with Chrissy, Chrissy Hine, yeah. who was like a darling of MTV. I actually remember this. This is kind of funny. You might remember this, John. When I guess, you know, she'd obviously Chrissy Hine and Ray had been together for a while. They obviously had a child together. They broke into on MTV like a breaking news, like a news bulletin, the kind of like urgent. This just in. We're stopping regular programming to say that Chrissy Hine and married Jim Carrey from Simple Minds because their romance was kind of a whirlwind and I, I think maybe people didn't even realize she wasn't with Ray anymore and suddenly she was marrying Jim instead like that it was such big news that she was marrying someone that wasn't incredible yeah. that they like were like stop the Duran Duran video we're just playing do, 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 yeah. do, like news bulletin news flash you stop but, your like, sobbing is what they were doing yeah yeah and obviously yeah the the pretenders that video the cover of the the kink song that was on MTV yeah. a lot but you know the fact that single. 
Ray Davies, I completely discovered the kinks from MTV, which is kind of embarrassing to say, but you know, he, I'm, that- I'm with you, Lindsay. I'm ashamed to say that come dancing is the first time I put the kinks with a song. Oh my I- God. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. I, I'm very ashamed. Of course I knew Lola when I was a kid. I heard that. I, did all you time. date Lola? I did <laughs> not date her. Okay. Uh, that I did not date them. Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. I, I, well I, I don't date them. What is a great t-shirt. exactly dangerous t-shirt but yeah well you know it's rock uh (laughs) the kinks were interesting the most depressing i gotta tell you guys the most depressing thing i can tell you about the kinks is i was playing come dancing at work uh when we were still in an office and a younger member of staff comes by and hears it and goes is this the new blur single Mm. I mean, it's depressing and yet kind of flattering. Yeah. And kind of for someone who had no knowledge of it, uh, kind of astute that because obviously the blur, blur who are like, again, like I said about the kinks, like super British, British themes, British, you know, that's why the blur were never as big here as gorillas were. I could understand why someone, I mean, I know you're saying it's depressing that like the person didn't recognize the song, but. I think that's actually a pretty astute comment for a young person to make. That Very much so. Super English. That. Yeah, and yeah. also understanding what the British rock and roll system was, you know, writing about, you know, the tube. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you know, uh-huh. Ode to a Tube by Blur. You know, Damon <laughs> Alban. Amazing. They well, were kinksy. They love the kinks. Everybody loves the kinks. I mean, the guy that wrote songs that are genius, you know. Rogers and Hammerstein rock and roll, right? Mm-hmm. There. That fourth Blur album is a Kinks album, basically. Yeah. The greatest well, since we're on the subject of, like I said, 60s artists that received a comeback from MTV, John Hughes, how much time do you have? Because, I mean, I can't believe we've gone this long and haven't talked about the monkeys yet. Oh, well, crap. <laughs> I mean, the monkeys. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the resident monkeys expert on this panel. So obviously, what we I am a every- monkeys fanatic. How okay, dare well, you? This is well, yes, but John has worked with Excellent. the monkeys. Is my point. So uh, in 1980, <laughs> no, in 1986, let Michael talk. <laughs> no, but I just want to. I want to ask you real quick, John. So, am I correct that when MTV played that monkeys marathon in 1986? which reinstated all this excitement over the monkeys because, you know, everyone was, all the kids were watching MTV at that time. Did the monkeys, they were quite officially broken up, right? They literally reunited because of this. Here's the thing about the monkeys. The monkeys are, were slash are four individuals that were contractually obligated to a TV show. Anything after that was gravy. So they never had any management. They never had any central person pulling them together. It was always a promoter or uh, someone from the outside saying, why don't you guys get together and do this? And then they had to make four separate deals. Mm. So MTV happens uh, out of nowhere. The show was in syndication, but it wasn't like it was in the 70s in syndication. And they do this 24-hour marathon. And this promoter, this concert promoter gets a great idea. Hey, I have this Herman Herman's Herman's thing coming up again, Michael. Uh, why don't I put the monkeys on the same bill and do a shed tour? So he gets a lot of credit for pulling the three uh, minus Michael together. And that's what started this whole thing. Arista, smelling uh, cash in the air, puts out this compilation record, comes to the three monkeys and says, why don't you do two new songs to put on this compilation record? They can't make a deal with Davey because Davey was Davey. Uh, And so Peter and Mickey do. That was then. This is now shocking everyone by getting into the top 20. What? In 1986? 
So it, it, it's always been like that with the monkeys. Somebody has to come to them and say, why don't you guys do this? Interesting. Interesting. But that, I mean, the fact that they were pretty much a non-entity, that they were not touring, they were not recording. And the fact that, do you even, do you have any insight, John, to, as to why MTV decided to even do a 24, to, to relinquish 24 hours of their weekend programming to this, at the time, 20-year-old TV show? It was a test. Uh, they were growing, but the growth had plateaued. People were watching in three to five minute increments, which sucks for Nielsen's uh, and, and for, you know, they were able to go to advertisers with the demographic data and say, look, it's the youngest, spendiest audience you're going to get on cable, but it still wasn't enough. So it was a test to see if they could hold viewers for a sustained amount of time, because right after that, you see things like remote control, the game show premiere, the real world, you know, half hour segments as opposed to music video, music video, music video. Mm. So it was it was an experiment, uh, and this was a way that, that to do it that really surprised them. I don't think anybody expected it. And it was a real full circle thing because not only was obviously Michael Nesmith very instrumental to the origin story of MTV, his pop clip show was kind of the template for what MTV was. He actually was asked to be an executive yep. on MTV and turned that down. But I would go so far as to say, I've said this many times, that what they called on the monkeys, uh, Mickey Dolenz calls it a romp, which was like those vignettes where they would play the entire monkey song for the week and they'd show them, you know, on some caper or like running on a beach or whatever. Those were music videos. Those were early music videos. Production, production called them romps. Okay. They, they, they would film, sometimes they would film several romps in a day to insert into other episodes. You know, the famous Rainbow Room where they're doing Daydream Believer with the rainbow background. That was one of several songs that were filmed during a tour stop in Chicago. They found a studio and with that scrim and they just did a whole bunch of stuff. So yeah, they kind of, I would give the Beatles credit for inventing yeah. that. <laughs> you know, it was hard days night. Yeah. Be honest, you know, it was a riff on Hard Day's but Night. But on television, on television. On, TV, on US TV, for sure. Everything wow. was a riff on the Beatles. Exactly. <laughs> That's for true. the and, monkeys. Hello. They will be the first ones to tell you, by the way. The monkeys. Right. My Hard Day's Night is John Lennon's birthday today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Michael, did you, you said you're a huge monkeys fan too. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about this, like, kind of, biz like, I'll use the word bizarre, like, just this combat no one well to me it's obvious i mean the shows were mtv 20 years yeah i mean they, they were all sketches and jumping up and down and hard days nighting you know and uh, of course it's mtv i mean it, it's a no-brainer but know? did you know them did you know the monkeys back in the day i know talk you know i knew him you know and I loved him. And the funny thing about Peter Talk, funny, it's not funny, it's interesting. Uh, the whole Los Angeles, Laurel Canyon mythology, Talk was the king of Laurel Canyon. He put mm. everybody together. It wasn't, see, the whole thing about the monkeys, and people think they were laughed at by the musicians, absolutely incorrect. Ned Smith is a fucking genius. Talk, brilliant. You know, Mickey sang his ass up. Davey, superstar, gorgeous, great hair. You know, I mean, fuck them all. The monkeys were great. The monkeys were uh -huh. really a terrific rock and roll band. I loved them. The reason they were on MTV is because they did it 20 years ago. Bert Rapelson, he knew what, was, what time it was. Let's get an American Beatles. I mean, it's not a shock. <gasps> they copied the bit. You know, it's obvious, you know, like, you know, except they didn't talk like this, you know, <laughs> one, two, three, four. But for the, I loved them, and talk was brilliant. Guy, super smart. You know, loved music, folk, Americana. That's where he was at, you Going know. Going back to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing, it 
pisses me off to no end that they have never been nominated. Incredible. And I, I fear that the window for them to get nominated and inducted has kind of closed because the hall has kind of moved on to uh, nominating bands from the eighties and nineties now, and isn't really, uh, it certainly isn't looking at six. It, like basically I have had some Intel that I've heard from people in the industry that if you are a band whose uh, heyday or origin time was the sixties and you haven't no been good. nominated yet, you're not, you're probably not going. Joe to. Cocker, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, exactly. Joe Ooh, Cocker yeah. is not right. in the rock and roll. That's, I mean, that's crazy. It, <laughs> <laughs> but it just makes it so we all know it's ludicrous don't we yes i mean it is but if they're going to do it they should do it right i do want to ask both of you guys though in terms going back to this 1986 comeback that the monkeys had which yeah. then sort of kind of got the ball rolling for multiple comebacks that they've had over the years including like the good times record that came out a couple years ago that john i know you but there's a on. record out now Lindsay. there's a record just dropped with nesmith and mickey it's incredible it's yes. absolutely beautiful. It's like an opera. And the, the son, Michael's son. Are you talking about like Dolan sings Nesmith? Yes. No, it, yeah. that's not the title. I think that might, they might, they have a title. I can't remember it. But Chris Nesmith, the son, produced this record. And it's like Beatle India, you yeah. know, sitars, tablas. Okay. John, right? can you tell me more about that one? Yeah, uh, it's it's ne it's uh, Mickey covering all Nez songs yeah. and reinventing them, and different drum becomes like Michael says, uh, this Indian influenced, uh, amazing psychedelic trip. Uh, Christian Nesmith is a brilliant producer. I had him do uh, some B sides and some album tracks on the Christmas record that we did a few years ago as well. And wow. if you guys have not heard Dolan sings Nesmith, I think you should check it out. The cover is a a nod to. Um, Nielsen sings Newman. Uh, if you're really a monkeys fan, you know what that all means, but you know, you've got this, this entity, the monkeys that will not die. Uh, and to go to your point about the rock hall, Lindsay, if it was going to happen, it was going to happen in 2016. You had it's a shame. 50th anniversary, new album in the top 15. Uh, Ben Tor Gilbert. Tor Tor yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. all the, who was, who was involved in that record from good times? It was like Noel Gallagher, Paul Weller, and Adam Slet, the late great Adam Schlesinger, yeah. Andy Partridge from XTC, Rivers Cuomo, uh, yours truly, you know, you, awesome. yeah, John Hughes. That if the if you can't get him into the Hall of Fame, who can? But to go back to the just to tie a bow on the whole fact that this kind of all started again in 1986. Do you think that that particular comeback, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame aside, like, do you think that helped sort of get people aware of? the musicianship and the influence as Michael was talking about that, like did that kind of critical respect eluded them at that time? Yes. Well, from critics. Yeah. I mean, but I get more mail when I play the, the monkeys on my show than any band. Yep. Really? The monkeys are hugely popular. Social media adore the monkeys. Now, that, you know, Jan Wenner, you know, he can go, I don't know, just to kiss He's not involved. Wyman's ass, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but it's the monkeys, baby. Well, Every, everybody loves the monkeys. Here's the thing that I think is interesting. So John Sykes has replaced Jan Wenner as the guy who uh, oversees the hall, right? I and like that, Sykes, but it sucks, you know. But Sykes was in, very involved in the early days of MTV. And I, ha yeah. I hypothesize, at least, you know, I, this is just my theory. That, you know, the Go-Go's are getting in this year and yeah. they got in in their first nomination, but their nomination was very overdue. And a lot of people have said that a lot of the 80s bands that were big on MTV, like Duran Duran, who've never been nominated, maybe now have more of a chance with John at the helm. Well, 
as we just said, you know, look at how important the monkeys were to MTV in the 80s. Maybe John will put in a word. John likes that is. We know John Hughes will put in a word, but like. I always do. We'll see. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. One for better or worse, uh, the Beach Boys, Kokomo cocktail soundtrack. Not their best work, but it was a huge, huge hit without Brian Wilson. How do you? How do we feel about the the Kokomo phenomenon? All credit to John Stamos. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Why fair is enough. you know you're absolutely right. You know you're absolutely right. He being a an iconic figure at that time. You know, there's a question about it, but it wasn't a Beach Boys record. Nope. Yeah, but it was. You know, it was a hit for them. So you know, good for them. It was a hit. It wasn't a Beach Boy record. More excitingly or more, um, you know, credibly for me, at least, was the whole Roy Orbison phenomenon of the mm. 80s. You know, not only was you got it a big hit, there was the Traveling Wilburys, well, even like Van Halen cover. Yeah, it was all about Dylan and all of that. No, you know. no, I wouldn't say that because like you George got it was, Harrison, Tom but, Petty and Bob Dylan the, saying they love Roy Orbison made no, Roy Orbison be loved. But there were other stars aligning like even Van Halen covering pretty woman, even yeah. there being a movie called pretty woman. That was the theme song of, and that was like the biggest movie of that year. And it made Julia Roberts an absolute star. And that was a Orbison reference. Like there were just some kind of, there was something in the water. I'm not discounting what you just said, Michael, but it, it even went beyond that. Just like all of a sudden everyone was talking about Roy Orbison. Like, I don't, John, do you have any insight as to like why all these stars were aligning for him? I don't have any insight to that. I just, I, I want to give uh, props to Virgin Records for having the vision. I mean, who's going to sign Roy Orbison in 1988 and spend money on an Anton Corbin directed video? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, whoever the A&R guy and was running the label at the time, props, dude. Uh, Bono was sniffing around in that documentary, you know? Uh, and these well, he's were- in every documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Okay, so maybe that's meaningless. What, but- what's the name of the, uh, the artist? What's the name of the artist? Billy? Billy is, is he- one of the most unbelievable vocalists I've Why ever it- seen in my entire life. I that's think a- it's the best show I ever saw. Never saw him. Why so- isn't he in your documentary? Who? Do- what do you want I, me to I be said, whatever book? you do, don't have Bono. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's it's funny. I, he's kind of the uh, he's kind of someone that was uh, unsung for two decades. Greatest singer ever. Yeah, you, you know, big in the fifties, early sixties, and then just kind of was on the tour circuit of the, the fairground circuit for a long time. And whoever, like Tina Turner, whoever had that vision and said, "This guy yeah. will have a hit in nineteen eighty eight probably had a really rough fight with everybody else at the label to get it through. Yeah, yeah it's it amazing. Was, it was gratifying that it came so late, you know, at the very tail end of Roy's life that he was able to have, like, kind of go out with a bang, so to speak. Like, he basically was as big a star as he'd ever been at the end of his life. Lindsay, I can't believe we haven't mentioned one of your favorites. What survives after the nuclear war? Cockroaches and? Beatles. Cher. 
Cher, I feel Cher was more of a 90s comeback. Well, she definitely was an 80s comeback artist in terms of her, um, you know, uh, acting career, Moonstruck and and uh, so many I big hits. someone was the 80s. Was it? Was it? Was yes. Turn Back Time the 80s? The Turn Back Time was 89. See, she's had so many comebacks. I've I've yeah. lost track because if you ask me what was the biggest comeback for Cher, I would say, you know, 98 with Believe where she became right. like the oldest no. woman to ever have a top 40 hit. But you're right. She had comebacks with Turn Back Time <laughs> and I title. found someone. And also the fact that, you know, she became an Oscar winning actress and like, you know, come back to the, I mean, I, was it, was it come back to the five and dime Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean that sort of like got her, all of a sudden she was one of these actors, these singers who suddenly was like a credible actress. And then there was Silkwood and mask. And all of a sudden she was like Meryl Streep pretty much. And then she, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry that I, I kind of think of her comeback as being a nineties, but I think to, to the point, don't call it a comeback. She's been here for years. She like just all, whenever you ever just think, you know, her best days are behind her, her best career days are behind her. It's not true. Yeah. A clip of her on American Bandstand in 1982 and Dick Clark's interviewing her. And she just put out a new wave record called I Paralyze, which I. Yeah, like. we've talked about this. It, that yeah. wasn't the reinvention that that was not one of her better comebacks. Right. Come but, but he's interviewing her and he's like, are you going on tour? What are you doing? She goes, well, you know, I'm actually going to do a little acting. I'm going to be in a little movie called Silkwood. Uh, it's got Meryl Streep in it. And the wow. crowd starts laughing. Like they think it's funny that she's trying to do this. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of sad and it's kind of like, fuck you. Look what happened. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. So, you know, Cher is right up there, man. When it comes to just re constant reinvention, yeah. never counter out. Vegas. Never. Yes. My Michael, have you in your acting and uh, musical travails, have you ever, encountered or are you have do you know share i feel like you're someone that would know share yes i went to a house in malibu i was taken there by a, a uh a, <laughs> a close friend of shares and uh, i went over there and spent the afternoon there. i think the other girl was trying to set me up with share that's what i think oh my god happening. that would have been such a power yeah. couple why did it happen was she with the bagel boy at the time um no bagel boy <laughs> came later I, I i would be i would be the hors d'oeuvre um you know but uh, the mimosa. I, I, I do believe that that's what went down i've never told anybody this so why but, didn't uh, it happen why why didn't was surely you guys must have you know been interested in each other and attracted I, to each other yeah but i've been there with famous people is no fun you know mm actresses are really popular because they trample over you to get to them. And I, I couldn't afford the dry cleaning. Well, tell me, <laughs> tell me what it was like this one kind of blind speed date that, you know, you had with Cher at her house. Well, I wrote a, a, a sort of a short story about it, um, which will come in my book, but it was uh, it, it, the house first and foremost is a palace in Malibu. It's just really, this, it's ridiculous. It's like a mansion. It likes, you know, makes these, uh, you know, uh, tycoons look like, uh, you know, they're on the dole, you know, I mean, it's just a massive pad. <laughs> I, mean, I would expect you... nothing less from Cher. So we go into the bedroom and three of us, and the bed is as big as my house. <laughs> and it, it all different parts of the bed would move. Like you it know was what? like a like sleep. It sleep. was like the leg thing and the head. And there was and I was getting seasick. Uh, <laughs> I felt <laughs> You were all wait, were you all three on the bed? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. But there's a, there were no shenanigans about no, this, okay. you know, and it was very innocent, really. I, I, I was auditioning yeah. to be her boyfriend. Is what was call. going Did on. you get a call back at least? I, I, <laughs> no, the money wasn't right. Um, <laughs> Did you know you were auditioning when you got in the oh, call? Oh, come on, John. I know everything. <laughs> What could kidding? have been? What could have been? Mikey, wow. Mikey, and Cher. I would have had a comeback. Yeah. Well, you've had you. I got you many. again, babe. You would have, well, you would have had a modular bed. Yeah. No, I have the deepest respect for uh, Cher. But I, I have the deepest respect for anybody that comes back. You well, know, because it's a beautiful thing to like. You know, you have to fight a lot of. You know, it's very difficult to do that to recreate yourself. Ain't easy. You know. She she did date obviously a lot of famous men besides the Bagel Boy and and you know possibly could have in an alternate universe been you. She dated Gene Simmons, right? Yeah, she did. You know, and then that's really interesting. She dated a couple of uh, friends of mine, Ron Zimmerman, wonderful comedian writer, little guy, you know, a beautiful guy. Uh, it doesn't. You don't have to be like gorgeous in her eyes. She's been with Greg Orman, who is probably one of the most, <laughs> you know. Gorgeous dudes ever, right? Well, the and, reason uh, it's Sunny Bono, I mean. Well, the reason I bring uh, this Sunny up was though, great. Sunny is I was feel fantastic. The was reason he? I bring up Gene Simmons, who I know, who I know. Wait, did you know Sunny Bono? Um, yeah, I, I want to get into this. Do you know? Sonny? I did. I did. I met him a couple of times. Yeah, and I, I was. Uh, he was the most. He was. He had the charisma of a really good-looking bloke. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, it's all about energy. Yeah. It's not about, you know, beautiful eyes and fabulous hair and great lips. It's not nothing to do with it. People are more attracted to uh, a positive energy and a loving energy and a compassionate and smart energy. And he had that, in, uh, you know, really had that. Under- Plus, he had this incredible career. He, you know, Phil's, Phil's right-hand man. He learned so much how to make records. He could make great records. He was a great artist. His first single was, you know, what was it called? Don't like me or you hate me. Laugh at me. Laugh at me. It? Mm-hmm. And this was his first solo single because he knew that in America he wore a fur vest and they fucking laugh at him. So what does he do? He writes a song called Laugh at Me. Mm-hmm. Massive hit. Brilliant man. Only a brilliant person can think of that. So brilliance but- is better than, you know, a big penis. And you can... <laughs> Well, write that down. That's a (laughs) t-shirt. Well, the reason I brought the Gene Simmons thing though, is just to sort of uh, make a segue into the fact that, you know, I know you toured with Kiss. Kiss, uh, much like ACDC, Kiss opened for one of your bands at one time, but they, they opened for Silverhead. Well, that's really cool. But uh, tell me before, the reason I'm bringing up them is they did have a comeback in the eighties that I want to make sure we mentioned, but tell me what it was like for Kiss to open for Silverhead. Well, what, you know, me and Johnny Thunders and Nigel Harrison were in the wings in New York. I can't remember the gig, the venue, but we're in. We're watching them. We're about to go on Silverhead after Kiss, so we're watching them. And the drum starts to go higher and higher on a drum riser, and they looked exquisite. And the blood and the thing and the flames and and Thunders and I just smoked dust you know angel dust and i was on angel dust watching kiss this is not a good thing it could be well it's probably not a good thing it but it's not a good, a good story thing. it's yeah. a good story oh, it's a great you know but to see 
Yeah, a demon. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm on dust. I'm going, no, 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 no. You know, and it was shocking. And we were laughing and everything. And they were fantastic. And I fell in love with all of those boys, Gene and Paul. I loved them. They were great. They were so good to me. And it's, it was a it was a fantastic experience. And then we had to go on and follow them. And I'm slipping on the blood, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you're not wow. always good about picking your opening acts, are you? No, 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 no. <laughs> but then again, I have done over 3,000 gigs. You know, sort of with uh, with uh, everybody. <laughs> well, We've opened for everybody. Well, so okay, so you witnessed that back in the early '70s. So I have to ask how you felt about how they reinvented themselves in on 1983. They quite famously took off their makeup, but on an MTV press conference, it was not the same lineup anymore. They had had some, you know, not so successful albums a couple years earlier. They'd done The Elder, had not gone over well, music from The Elder. And then, you know, they're they're stripping themselves of their, what identifies kiss them. Yeah, kissness. Yeah. I think the thing about it was my manager, Danny Goldberg, was managing them. And they, he gave them the idea because the records oh. weren't selling. And he said, off, off with the makeup. Let's just be like the metal thing. And then they come out and they realize exactly what these guys look like these guys are not tony curtis <laughs> paul stanley is a good these guys guy. are not richard Gere. well no. yes but the hair and the wigs and all of that i mean it's it's it was uh well here's it, here, i don't know it was like somebody seeing somebody naked that didn't look good naked well to your point then i thought and i think a lot of people thought that it would be no pun intended the kiss of death for kiss to take off their makeup that this would absolutely be like a career suicide move but they had and, a hit but they kind of i mean the makeup eventually came back on but for many years in the 80s much like aerosmith they were adjacent to that hair metal thing the metal thing that was going on on mtv and they had a lot of hits yep. without makeup in the 80s you know like lick it up and forever and uh x and sex they actually became you know if you've seen the decline of western civilization part two they were right there makeup free with all those bands I definitely did not expect that. I thought, you know, you take, it's like taking, it's like a Samson without his hair situation. You can't have kids without their makeup. And yet it was for a while, very successful. I don't think they have ever put a foot wrong. A, a Cuban well, have girl. you heard the, have you yeah. heard the music from the elder? Uh, I, but even that, even that, you know, was a, an attempt at something literate and operatic, you know, I, I mean, and the elder, it's, a I liked it too. I liked it too. I actually will too, but I don't think the band will defend the elder. They no, no, absolutely not. But they had a go, didn't they, John? I mean, they had a go and that's, that was, I liked that. It's good. I sang on his album, Gene's album. I sang on that, that solo Wait, what? album. I sang on Gene's solo album. There I am. Singing, Are you on radio? In the background, you know, me and Which song? Uh, Which song? Chrissy Hine. I don't know the name of the song. <laughs> Please tell me it's radioactive. That's it, I think it had Tonight in the oh, title. Of course it did. You know. Uh, <laughs> it's such a bummer that they had already used the album title Unmasked before they actually yeah, yes 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 like, yes guys no save that but i think they're great both of them could, and then both of them really unmasked this time yeah really and then they get covid the two of them i mean yeah you know, but they're so, doing all right they're yeah, survivors they're, fine. they're good they're on the road they're good they're, they're doing great you know I, I love those boys always will so i'm gonna wrap it up with a, a band that a lot of people think rec re recorded the the worst song of all time blender magazine decreed it so but it wasn't an unsuccessful song they were knee deep in the hoopla and somehow jefferson starship also oh. known as starship 
had a huge we hit with that city. song in the 80s. We yeah. built the city. Yeah. But that wasn't a fluke. They also had like Nothing's Gonna Stop Us from yeah, Mannequin. They had great Sarah. Singer. Mickey they be the, the Starship, as they, you know, their curtail name became. Like they became for a little while very big MTV stars. And I, I don't like We Built This City, but you know, again, I have like you, Michael, respect for anyone who can come back or persevere. Yeah. How did that happen? How did like Starship become in 1985, one of the biggest bands on the radio and MTV? Cause Mickey Thomas was an amazing singer. Um, and he was one of the greatest singers I ever heard in my life. He worked with, uh, what was it? Who did, who was it, John, the guitar player? Um, Marty Kelder? No, 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 no. I can't remember, but he really was a great blues singer. He's very like Terry Reed kind of guy. Oh, oh guy. yeah, with uh, how long or not how long. Yeah, great singer. And I think that the song itself was undeniably spectacular. Well, you know, you, wait, you, we you, need to be in the who, uh, we built this city with lyrics by Bernie Toppin. Or you think that's a song that was spectacular? You disagree with Blender saying it was the worst I, song of all time? I absolutely, well, I disagree with everybody. <laughs> but but, but I, I would say this, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being cryptically stupid here, but the so yes, anything that's good, anything that's got a melody to it that gets to number one is spectacular. It's so sure. fucking hard that to get a get a hit record, you know, and to write a great song. What and were you saying, John? That pre-chorus and we built the city with a Marconi plays the the lyrics are stupid. Okay, forget the lyrics. But that ascending pre-chorus is amazing. Uh, there's a reason why it went to number one. People, it's a great record. It's, they made a great record. You and know, I, I think you're know. thinking of Elvin Bishop. Um, Elvin Bishop. That's that's right. Yes. But the thing is, is that you know everybody's made a dumb record. You yeah. Know? yeah you know, I mean, every, I believe that the Jagger Dave Grohl record was, shall we say, lacking. You know, everybody's capable of like making a bad record and and people will get it. The other reverse is true. Anybody who had sung that song would probably, you know, it was so catchy. Well, it's interesting because I mentioned that Bernie Toppin did the lyrics to that. Yeah. Not his best work. Obviously, he's better known for stuff with Elton. He also did the lyrics to These Dreams by Hart. So I th actually think we really should wrap it up because we haven't talked about Hart. And Hart absolutely had, you know, they have mixed feelings about it now because it was, again, kind of adjacent to that hair metal era. And it yeah. was an MTV thing that was an image that they didn't really jive with. And as you mentioned, you know, when we talked about Aerosmith, Michael, they, they had outright so outside songwriters. But Hart were so massive in the 80s. They'd had obviously huge success in the 70s too, but they absolutely had to come back in the 80s with, you know, Never and These Dreams and Alone and so many power ballads. And it's kind of an interesting thing. Again, MTV was, for better or worse, very instrumental in that. Great singer, Diane Warren. You know, you put that together, you're going to have hits, you know. And uh, I think the Anne and Nancy fight, you know, yeah. sort of laid that one out, you know. But I have deep respect for both both of those women. I think they're extraordinary musicians and singers. And the band was great. Songs were great for that era. You know, yeah. I'm listening to, you know, Muddy Waters. It's a different vibe. <laughs> I'm just being objective and looking no. at what, you know. Anne Wilson can sing anything. She's my favorite. Um, Anne Wilson Pickett is really good, too. I don't know if you've ever heard of Anne Wilson Pickett. <laughs> Anne Wilson Pickett. That is a good name for a band. You're coming up with all sorts of great names for bands and T-shirts and stuff. We do need to let you go, Michael. But since I started this podcast by saying, you know, you have had more comebacks and reinventions than almost all the people we just mentioned combined. And you were at the top of the podcast, sort of like giving some sage advice about it, but like, I'm going to let you have the final word. What is the secret to sticking around and having comeback after comeback after but, all these years in terms of music? Yeah. 
you gotta love music. That's it. Just That's the it. love of it is enough. That's right. And the rest will follow. That's right. I think that is a, a, a wonderful way to uh, end this. Thank you so much, Michael. I um, love you, Lindsay. Thank you, John. Delightful you. to be with you. I'll see you both soon, I hope. Yes, a special thanks to you, Michael. Everybody listening, you can catch Michael Mornings on Little Steven's Underground Garage on Sirius XM and catch his documentary, Who Do You Want Me To Be, on Amazon Prime and streaming platforms. I'm Lindsay Parker. I've also been joined by John Hughes, and we want to thank you for listening. Remember to give us a rate and review on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll catch you next time. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side.